Well, hey, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, we are in a series called Tell Me a Story. So I want you guys to uh, shout it out with me on the count of three. Say, tell me a story. Ready? One, two, three. Dude, you guys are awesome. Third service, you guys are awake, alert. You guys have slept in and had a great Sunday morning, right? You guys are probably even eating breakfast and didn't bring me any. So, hey, God is good. I'm going to call this the roll up my sleeve service because it's like it's third service. It's time to get her done, right? And so, hey, so God is good. I just want to let you guys know that we have been in this series the last uh, three weeks. This is the third week of our Tell Me a Story. Um, and man, that's a powerful story. That is a powerful story. Because, and, but the first thing I ask when I watch a video like that, and before I kind of present it in front of a group of people, I want to always ask the question, is it a true story? And so I kind of did some research and kind of looked it up, and, and I found that the, in a book in, in 1875 called The History of Hymns, and under the song, I'll Hail the Power, there's a guy who says, Edward Long tells a story of that missionary who went and lived out that story and lived on mission in his life. But it's interesting because in part of that video you read, it says that his friends truly pleaded and said, please do not go there. We are going to lose you. And it says, we will never see you again. But the Reverend E.P. Scott said to them back, and this is the part that's going to kind of set us up as we continue to journey into our next story, which if you guys have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 17. If you have your Bible apps, flip them open, turn them on, and and do what you need to do to get there to Genesis, Exodus 17. This was Reverend E.P. Scott's words back to his friends when they said, you're never, we'll never see you again. He said, but I must carry Jesus to them. I must carry Jesus to them. And I want us to think about that for a moment because what kind of life do you have to live in order to live on mission to get to the point where you know that the place you're heading to can kill you? The place that you're heading to, you're going to struggle to get to. And to that place where you get to, and I love that portion where he is in the front of all those tribesmen as he takes that knee. And the first thing I was thinking was, I'm not going to pick up a violin. But he picked up the gift that he had. He picked up the thing that he knew how to use, and it was a violin. So if there's anyone in an orchestra or in a band here, God can use you to do amazing things. But here's the rest of the story. It says that as I continue reading about it, it says when poor health forced him to take a leave of absence, it said that the tribesmen followed him 40 miles to the city that he was going to be taken care of. And then it says that E.P. Scott stayed there, got well, and he went back to those tribesmen where he spent the rest of his life with those people telling them about Jesus. There's a man who lived on mission. He's a man who knew what God had called him to do and was just simply being obedient even to death. And church, I want to talk about that this morning. I want us to arrive to a moment where where we can look at and say, what are some of those characteristics of people that can begin to just live on mission? And today, as we go back, yes, last week we talked about Joshua. This week, I want to go and talk about Moses. Man, Moses, he struggled but we're gonna talk about why. So let's pray and let's go and dive into our word this morning. You guys ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to just simply be able to present your word this morning. 
God, we pray, Lord, that as we look at Exodus chapter 17, I pray, Father God, that as we just dive into it, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord. God, we know, Lord, that there are multiple different uh, scenarios happening in everyone's life here today. But God, you brought us all together under this tent, Lord, to be able to read your word. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us. God, we ask, Lord, that you would remove the distractions in our hearts, in our minds, Father God. And God, we pray that your spirit would simply bring your word to us. And may it bring comfort, may it encourage, may it remind us, Father God, that we are not alone. And God, may it remind us that we need to begin to live on mission. Before we start reading Exodus chapter 17, I want to tell you a little bit about God's people that uh, they were called the Israelites. And I want you to kind of know where did the name Israel even come from? It comes out of Genesis where you kind of hear the founding fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and there's this guy, Jacob. And Jacob, he wrestles with God. I, I, mean, I can't even imagine thinking about trying to wrestle God. Like I already spiritually I wrestle, but like physically wrestle. And then he ends up losing this battle, gets his hip kind of disconnected. And then God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And Israel means struggle. So I want us to kind of understand the context as we begin to read this, that we're reading about a story that, of God's people that he calls his own, and he calls them struggle. So I want you guys to know to take the burdens off of your shoulders right at this very moment, off your minds, that if you are struggling with God, if you're struggling following him every moment, every hour, every day, every year to follow God, just know that you are in good company. Because we're about to read about a group of people called struggle, but yet still call them his own. So as you're here this morning, let's go ahead and dive into Exodus chapter 17. And, and what we're going to, again, we're going to study today is the eight characteristics of a person living on mission. There's another thing that's also happening prior to this is that, that God has already been kind of wrestling. They've already crossed the Red Sea. They've seen a big battle and a big victory that God has gotten them through. But then also what happens in this process is that previous to this, that as they are struggling, they have been complaining that they have not had, they have had a lack of food, lack of water. And so up until this moment, God, they have seen God do miracles. And God in the morning, I love this description. When you kind of read it in Exodus, it kind of gives a description. They call it manna, but I'm going to call it cornflakes because they said that the bread was sweet. And so I was just thinking, man, God provided cornflakes in the morning and they wanted meat at night so God would provide quail in the evenings for them to have a meal. But they would always say, but we're still thirsty, God. And then just previous to this reading, you see that God just provided water, and we're going to read into that here in a second. But let's go now and just read a little bit of part of Exodus chapter 17. And I didn't warn first service, but I have to warn you guys here this morning, and I want you guys to say this afterwards, is that we're going to get a little personal here. Because when we read God's word and we look at God's word, we have to understand that he is speaking to each one of us here today. And when he speaks to us, we also have to recognize that he is going to reach deep within the sides that we've built some walls in. And he wants to break those walls. So there might be some chiseling happening this morning. There might be some molding happening this morning. But when, when you allow God to do that, 
you start learning what it is to live on mission. So let's go ahead and dive in. Exodus 17, verse 1. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're almost getting ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you and before the rock of Oreb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it and people, and the, for the people to drink. So Moses did, in, did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called that place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? The very first characteristic that we need to understand for a person that's living on mission, or actually, let me go ahead and read you this quote really quick, and is that when you're living on mission can take you to places that you have never thought you would go and do things that you were thought you were never capable of. Why don't you just rest on that for a moment? Living on mission can take you to places you never thought you would go and do things you never thought you were capable of. I know God brought me to Tracy for that very reason. I knew that he was going to stretch me, and I know that he is stretching me, and I know that he's going to do amazing things, but we, I do also know that it's come with a lot of struggles over the last couple of years in how he's done it. You see, God, the first characteristic that we're going to talk about in living on mission is this is that a person living on mission listens carefully to God's commands. A person living on mission listens carefully to God's commands. Let's find out why. In Exodus 15, 25, it says, this is just a couple of chapters beforehand, and this is kind of the first time that God really provided water to the Israelites. And it says that then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. In verse 26, it goes on and it says, There the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them. And he said, and this is the part that we need to understand here. It says, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees... I will, not bring you, I will not bring on you any of these diseases that I brought on to the Egyptians. And then he tells them this, and this is a part that we need to hear this morning. He says, for I am the Lord who heals you. And what he's doing to Moses is what he's saying is saying, first of all, you need to listen to me carefully. You see, I roll with a family of six. I've got four of my own. We've got two foster kids. And when we're in the minivan getting ready to go to a tournament, and one of the kids first says, dad, I'm thirsty. My first question is, why don't you get something before we got into the van? 
Then the second thing is, is that, okay, hey, we've got a cooler full of water bottles, and we know we've kind of prepared, and, and it's easy to provide some water for them. Then, then there's the bathroom breaks, but we won't go into that. But God gave Moses a challenge. God gave him Moses a challenge because he's supposed to lead this group called Struggle. Here they are, they're whining, they're crying, and they're saying, hey, why would you take us up out of Egypt for this? And God reminds Moses, and he says, I need you to listen carefully and do these things. And I love in chapter 15, he says, he goes and he goes, go and grab that stick, which I think, and as I'm kind of reading into it, I could not find any historical documents. I think he throws a cinnamon stick into the water and he makes bitter water sweet. But now he's again going back and the Israelite army is thirsty again. But you have to picture that this is not with a minivan full of six people. There's millions. There's a couple million people that he's got to do it, and he can't just stop off to the neighborhood Walmart and say, hey, I need, uh, can I get, you know, maybe two million gallons of water? I need to be able to feed a group of people, livestock, animals, and everything. He doesn't happen that way. And so he begins to start crying out to God in that moment, but God was just reminding him that he needed to stay focused. And we have to understand that there's another point in this is that we need to, another part to living on mission is this, and this is the second thing, is that we need to expect opposition while living on mission. You see, when you begin and start developing a relationship with who God is, you have to understand that there is going to be some times and there's going to be things in your life that just compete for your desires. There is going to be some struggles in your life, whether it's through family, whether it's through friends, whether it's through a career, whether it's through school, that God begins to just challenge you. And you have to know that you have to begin to expect opposition. The moment the people, the Israel, God knew he was sending his Israelites into the desert. They knew that they just crossed over the Red Sea and they saw these miles of water just be able to cross through on dry ground. They seen what God can do, but they would still call out. And what happens is that people grumble when they lack vision and provision. And this is when we start speaking into our own lives, is that what causes us to grumble doesn't take it, it's not hard for, to get me to grumble. You know, we have a little foster baby, and man, uh, when I was in my 20s having children, it was much easier to wake up in the middle of the night. But man, in my 40s, little baby starts to cry. And all of a sudden, he gets up and he does the changing, you know. And I'm like, you know, and I love my wife because she does the majority of the change. I'm a, I'm a punk sometimes and let her do it. But man, when he's in the middle of the bed, sometimes as we're just trying to get some rest. And he's just doing this rotating thing between us. It's like, kick you, slap you, kick you, slap you, kick you, slap you, kick you, slap you. And then the alarm goes on, off. And then the snooze comes on, and the alarm goes off, and it's kick you, slap you, kick you, slap you. And you turn, and you face him in the middle of the morning, saying, okay, I'm up. And he smiles. And you start realizing, thank you, Lord, for the ability to have this amazing baby with us and to care for him and to love him in spite of what he's been through. And you see that people grumble when they lack vision and provision. But we need to remember why God has called us to do the things that he's called us. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, 
happy is he. You see, God is constantly reminding us that we need to listen carefully to his word, that we need to be able to expect opposition because when we have opposition in our lives, our, our, our tendency is this. We revert back to either isolation, to protection. We build walls instead of letting God take control and say, God, I know that you've called us to live on mission. And what we need to do is expect some of that opposition. The other thing is, is that God has given a vision and a mission for this church. You see, when his people begin to start living on mission, the church actually starts living on mission. And the reality is, is if the people stop living on mission, the church stops living on mission. And God has given a mission and a vision for this church. And it's called Next Gen. And as most of you guys know, you can't miss it when you kind of come into this building now as you see this gigantic building. It's pretty awesome. When it was just an actual like concrete, it looked way smaller than this place. And I'm thinking, did we just do this? What's really going on? Then the walls go up and then the sides are going up and then the building's going up. And what you start seeing is saying, wow, that's going to be pretty awesome. And then I hope like most of you, and I hope like what God is challenging you is going, how are we going to fill that up? And you have to realize that God has given us a threefold mission in this next-gen journey, and one of them is to grow our campus. And it's not just to simply grow the campus. It's to actually have the opportunities to be able to love on more people than we thought we could ever love. But it takes having us step aside from the things that we feel we are going through and just trust God that he is going to get you through these things. For some of you, he's going to use a violin. Actually, I would love to see a violin up here. So if any of you play violin, you know, talk to Nish and see what we can do. But God has given you a tool and a resource to be able to use it. So one, he's challenged us to grow this campus. The other side, he's also challenged us to invest in our future. And guess what? There is a group of students who are actually got on this bus, got on two buses, one middle school, one high school, and they're heading out to Hume Camp this morning. And man, it was so cool. Like my daughters, you know, they were, they were I, I think my one daughter was packing for weeks. You know, and she's like, I need this and I need this and I, dad, I need this. And so as we're getting ready and I'm packing them up and I'm praying with them this morning, it was awesome to see that. But I also remember that they're getting ready to go into battle. And some of the things that God did through my life when I wasn't, didn't grow up going to church and I gave my, life to my, gave my life to Christ my junior year in high school and God changed my family through beginning to give my life to Jesus and becoming just on fire, that these students are going to expect some opposition in their lives, but that we have to realize that as we are investing in them, and as we are praying for them, and as we are encouraging them, that God is going to do an incredible thing as you start seeing what's happening in VBS and all these kids who are giving their lives to Jesus, who are coming here on a campus, and the families that come with them as well. And the other third fold part of that journey is that we need to begin to reach our region and saying God has done more here in Tracy. He is giving us the ability to reach Mountain House and Lathrop and, and Manteca and beyond because he has simply given us a church, a group of people that are living on mission. And our mission statement here at our church is we, need to, we exist to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ, which leads us to our third characteristic in living on mission. A person living on mission needs to include other people along the way. One of the things that God challenged Moses was this. He didn't say, go at it alone. 
what he told Moses was in verse 5. He says, I want you to get a group of elders of Israel, and I want you to go and take them with you, and I want you to strike the rock. Why? They need to be able to see what God was doing. You know, nowadays, the majority of the time, we can do a lot of things alone because all we have to do is just go on Facebook and do Facebook Live and say, all right, hey, guys, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm about to strike a rock, and God said he was going to create water from it. Boom, and then all of a sudden, there's like a million likes, and everyone's doing it. But during this time, God said, you need to bring people with you. Why? It's because often when we are going through battles, when we're going through struggles, when we're going through life, we often do things alone instead of saying, I need to bring people with me. And in this point, he was saying, I want you to take some of the leaders of the Israelites and I want you to go and I want you to bang that rock and I want you to see what I can do. And not only that, you're gonna be able to have groups of people to be able to see what they have done in your life. Here in this church, we call it discipleship. And God is just waiting for his people to say, whatever God has done in your life, take somebody along with you along that journey. Because he needs to see, other people need to see that they can do it as well. And we're going to talk in a little bit of a moment about what that kind of looks like. But I just want to encourage you to make sure that you take people along that way. Because in the Great Commission, he says that we need to go and make disciples. We need to remember that we need to go. And if you think, you're saying, well, I only know maybe two verses in the Bible. You can still have somebody follow you and say, I'm going to teach you those two verses and how they've lived out in my life. God can do powerful things in just the very little time that you've known him. And if you know a ton of verses, that he can really use you in that side. But God does something really cool in us learning our fourth characteristic of a person living on mission. He says it, we need to, that a person living on mission is that we need to remember what God has done as motivation to keep going. God reminds Moses, he says, Look at the staff that's in your hand. And remember when you strike the Nile, and what he was doing is he was putting a recall mechanism inside of Moses' brain and saying, listen, I just put you before Pharaoh and you didn't die. I put you in front of the Red Sea and then all of a sudden holding the staff and you spread it open. You just saw me turn from a stick, a cinnamon stick, and make bitter water sweet. And you've seen how you can strike a rock and now you can see what I can do. We need to remember what God has done in our lives. We need to remember that because the moment that when we begin to struggle is the moment we start forgetting what God has done in our lives. And I'm sure for some, maybe you can remember that 20 years ago what God has done. But I want to encourage you that if you had a meal here this morning before you came here, God blessed you. If you had something to drink, God blessed you. And if we really dive even deeper, that if you took a breath during this service and breathed in oxygen, God blessed you. And we need to remember that God every day, every moment, every second is truly living out in our lives. And we need to simply begin to start living out what God has called us to do in living on mission. We're about to dive deeper now, guys. Hope you're ready for this. The fifth characteristic of a person living on mission is that they need to be authentic with their past. Everybody say the word authentic. authentic. How many people know what authentic means? Real, 
right? Genuine. It's a cool word, but it's hard when God has called you to be authentic. God brought me here a couple, like two and a half years ago, and he helped me, put me over the uh, Celebrate Recovery program, which I love. But I'll be honest with you, before I came here, I, was, I, I didn't oversee the Celebrate Recovery program, but our sister church had the Celebrate Recovery program for seven years, and I got invited to this thing called the CR Summit. And every year I kept on saying, ah, oh, I'm busy. Ah, oh, I've got, you know, I've, I've got something to do that week. I do something with my family every week, and every week I didn't get a chance to go. And so when God brought me over here, and I had an opportunity to go to celebrate recovery and go to the CR Summit, I sat back and went, I am an idiot. I loved it. I saw a group of people who were living out their hurts, habits, and hangups and praising God together was that picture of the Israelites named Struggle and Following God. And not only that, about six, before, it took me about six to seven months of going to every Friday night where I kept on getting invited. We do a mess, we do food, we do a message, and then after we do this thing called open shares. And open shares, we could probably even change it to be just authentic shares because what it is, is an opportunity for people to sit around a circle and just share whatever is burdening them inside of their hearts and inside their minds. But for six or seven months, I remember going, I'm not going to go in there. I'm a pastor. I don't have anything wrong, right? But I started to learn that as God began to convict me, he goes, why are you going to ask people to go to an open share and you're not even willing to go? And then we started talking about step studies. Well, I don't need a step study. I'm a pastor. Oh, man, I joined a step study. And God began to start unfolding things in my life that I never thought were there. And God used that step study group. In our step study group, we have this group text that we send things out every day. Some guys send out scriptures, send out stories, but there's a group of people that I know that I can rely on, that I can pray with, that have prayed with me and have encouraged me along that journey. But I had to get past the idea that I couldn't be authentic with a group of people because I'm a pastor. We've got to be authentic with our past so that God can use us and be authentic in the future. I've seen so many more lives change with groups of people who have opened up. And don't worry if you've been in here and you're going, hey, I've been in that open share. Don't share. You can't. That's one of our rules. You don't share what's going on inside there. I'm just giving you an overview. But I've seen so many people begin to start sharing what's going on in their lives. And lives begin to change. My life begins to change. And I've been so blessed to be able to see a group of people to be authentic. But you see what happens is when God called Moses to go up and strike it. And when they reasoned why they had to call it Massa and Meribah is because it was actually called, God often did these things where he would build kind of like these memorials to remember something. And there he says, I want you to call it testing and quarreling or fighting because that's what God was doing in that moment. Guys, we need to start sharing more with people of the testings and the quarrelings that we've had in our lives. Why? It's because most people think that when you go to church, you've got to be fixed first. And they don't realize that this is the hospital. And God's provided all these people to be there to encourage and to love and to really start setting out what God begins to do. But we must first be authentic. But what happens when authentic people start really living out their lives? 
we jump into this last portion of the scriptures here this morning. And we're going to read Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. And there's a battle coming, guys. But here's the cool part. God's people called struggle do something really cool. And it says in verse 8 of chapter 17, it says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men to go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it up under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And in our fifth characteristic of a person and a person living on mission, or our sixth one is this, is that they need to learn from past experiences. What was different between now people are starting to attack the Israelites and then people being thirsty? It was what God used Moses immediately. He says, the moment they were starting to get attacked, what did he tell them to do? He says, I want you to go ahead. He gets Joshua and he says, Joshua, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go and grab some men and I need you to go fight. But here's something really cool. And I laugh and I chuckle on when I read sometimes some of these verses. But then he also tells him, he goes, he goes Moses said to Joshua, choose some of the men and go out and fight the Amalekites. And he goes, tomorrow... He wanted a good night's rest. I think he did this. He probably had babies too, just crying. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And what he did is he was actually learning. He learned from his previous experiences. And now he's saying, okay, I know that I'm under attack, but now I know what to do. I need to direct God's people because I know that God is with us. I need you to go out and battle. And because he went out and sent out his people in battle, what happened? Well, one, it says that every time that his hands were raised up in the air, what was happening? They were winning. They were winning the battle. Why is that important? You see, what Moses was doing was that he was intercessoring. He was intercessing, praying, saying, God, please take care of these people. And whenever he was doing that, they were winning. But at the same time, it's hard to do this. You ever try this for like three songs in worship? It's like, man, at that point, you're like this. You know, then you're kind of stepping on there. Other times you're like, okay, now it's just time to do one of these, you know? And it's just like, you're like my hands just grow tired sometimes when we're worshiping. But it also said that there were people in Moses' life, Aaron and her went up there with him, and they saw when he was growing tired. And they provided a rock for him to sit in now it's this. You ever do that in worship? You're just sitting there and just like, I'm just going to sit because my legs are tired. But it also said this, that he had Aaron and her on either side of his hands, holding him up. Guys, we need people in our lives. We need people to hold our hands up when we feel like we are struggling. We need people in our lives that are lifting their hands up on our behalf and praying. Why? Why? Because we're God's people. 
we're going to struggle because he has sent us on a mission that is not easy. He has set us on a mission that is not going to always go the way we think, but he has set us on a mission and has told us that he is our healer, that he is our stronghold, that he will be with us no matter where we go, that he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. But God needs all of his people to work together. A church on mission, living on mission, is a church living on mission. When a church stops living on mission, it's because the people stop living on mission. Why? Because the people are the church. We know that God has called us to do some extreme hard things and to live through extreme hard times. But we need to begin to start holding each other up. I know for some of you, you're like, I love to pray. Be that person. For most of you, you're probably like, I don't want to be the right-hand person who holds up someone's right hand. That's it? But guess what? If that arm dropped, that battle was losing. Be proud if you're the right hand of holding someone's right hand up or the left hand. Be proud if all your role was just to put a rock under someone so he can sit. Be proud if that's all you're even capable of doing because the winning happens together, not individually. The battle was fought because now Joshua was going out and he was beginning to fight and God, they beat the Amalekites until sunset. I just want you to remember, lift other people up when they're in a battle because they'll remember it. And not only that, one day you're gonna need somebody for you, but you gotta let them in too. Don't isolate yourself. And the last characteristic is this, of a person living on mission, is that they see victory come with a team effort. Majority of times, including myself, whenever we face really tragic, hard circumstances in our lives, the very first thing we often do is we do tend to isolate. And I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm going through because nobody cares, or I don't want anybody to tell me because I'm okay. I, I think I'm okay. But the reality is we need people in our lives caring for us, texting us, loving us. I believe the reason why God called me to be a small groups pastor is because, man, I just love being a part of people's lives. But I also feel like I need to make sure that everyone understands that when you're in a small group, that's what's happening. You're lifting each other's arms up. You're lifting each other in to encourage one another. We all need to begin to start living on mission. But also we need to remember that it's not how we start, but it's how we finish. I want to read you guys this last a lot, a portion of the song. Again, I want to remind you that... Um, I am not on the worship team as far as singing goes. I'm on the worship team on the preaching side. But it's a song because I, I was listening to the radio and I, I, was, I, I liked a little jingle to it. I was like, hey, I like this song. But I started listening to it over and over again and I found it. And it was a, it's by a guy written by a man named or sung by a man named David Dunn. And the song is called, I Want to Go Back. And I'm going to read it to you because I can't sing. I should have Devin up here coming up and singing it. But it says, when I was a kid, I was sure I could run across the ocean, that I was going to be an astronaut. It was you, and it was me, this relationship with him and God. I had everything I needed. Faith could even move a mountaintop. And then I grew up, and then I got older. And my life got tough, 
and we grew apart. And then he goes, oh, that's the part where I don't sing. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. He actually kind of was like, ooh. Then he goes like this. He goes, I want to go back to Jesus love me, loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me. For the Bible tells me so. I want to go back to this little light. Going to let it shine. Going to let it shine. I want to go back. And you see what happens is, is that as we think as we're growing older, that as the tough circumstances come, now it's time for me to be an adult. When the reality is, is God saying, hey, let the little children come to me because they have faith. I can move mountains. And I want to encourage you that if you have wandered away from God, whether it's from struggle or whether it's from rebellion or whether it's just you just decided it was not for you, but you're here this morning, that I want to remind you of the message of just saying, I want to go back to just Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me, no, you need to remember that there's a God that sent his son to love you and to care for you and to die for you. And then no matter what struggle you are in, he loves you no matter what. And then he also wants to remind you of the last part. I want to go back to this little light of mine and I want to let it shine. Guys, when the church begins to live on mission, you begin to shine not because of your strength, not because that you were powerful. It's because the light inside of you is God. And let his light shine. Let it shine through the struggles. Let it shine through the burdens. Let it shine through no matter what it is that you're battling in your life. But he just wants to love you. So will you let him do it this morning? And she said, God, I take you back. Break me. Follow you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Maybe for some of you, just hold your hands up here this morning and just say, God, take me. Maybe for some of you, it's down on your knees and saying, God, take me. I'm done. But no matter what, just go to God this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for today. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you didn't call your people powerful or perfect, that you called them struggle. And God, I just want to pray right now, Lord, that as we continue to walk in this journey with you, or maybe for some are beginning this journey with you, that God, that people would recognize, Lord, that we need you. And that God, that perfection in our lives, Lord, is not what you're asking us to live, but simply surrender. And so, Father, we just ask that you would speak to us, Lord. God, I pray, Father God, that you would encourage other people, Lord. God, would you remind us all here this morning, Lord, that we are not alone. And that, God, may you call us to live on mission. God, will you call us to reach our neighbors, our friends, our family. And, God, if we are just simply broken here this morning, God, will you just fill us with your peace and your love and your joy. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray.